You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Gospel of John, chapter 4. We'll begin reading at verse 19. Read through the end of verse 26. John, chapter 4. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. You people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When that one comes, He will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on our time before we begin. Our great and glorious God, we come now to Your Word, and our prayer is that our hearts would be as open and to Your Word as Your Word is upon our laps, that You, O God, would be glorified here in our midst as we look at these things. Help us to think clearly. Help us to think Your thoughts and to know Your truth and Your Word. We pray that You would give to us discernment as we talk about the things that are necessary to be true worshipers. We know and confess before You that we are not what we should be or ought to be, nor are we today what we will be in the future or even in eternity, certainly in eternity. We thank You, O God, that You are here to conform us to the image of Christ and to sanctify us by Your truth. And we pray that our time in Your Word today may accomplish that end and that goal. We commit these things to You and pray, O Spirit of God, that You would be our teacher and that Your Word would be our guide today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, we are in John chapter 4 and going through this encounter with Jesus and the woman at the well in Samaria, and it's taking a little bit longer than I had actually planned as we've gone through and sort of been looking at this subject of worship and what true worship is and what true worship means. And um, going through it a little bit slower than I had originally planned, I think, partly because uh, for myself at least, I, be, I am becoming freshly challenged on these things in my own life, and my own heart. And I think sometimes in preaching, you just simply are the, um, the sounding board for things that I'm kind of going through in my own heart and my own life. And as the Lord deals with me and challenges me in things, I get up here and preach to you the things that I'm learning all over again. And I think that that's the way it has been with this whole issue of worship. I found that I, as I've gone through this... I, There's so much more that I wish I could pack into a Sunday morning here than I am able to pack into a Sunday morning. And so the the only way I can do this is just hope that at least you are benefiting from the things that I am learning and going through and that as you sit here, even though it might be slow as we've gone through John 4.24 now for this is the third or fourth week out of nine or ten, that it's going to be at least as beneficial or as much a blessing to you as it has been in my own life. So I hope you're kind of getting the overflow of that. We have learned as we've been looking at John 4.24, a couple of key things so far. First, that our worship is the expression of our thoughts and our sentiments about God. And we must be careful that we have the right God and that we have right thoughts about God. 
as our thinking of God is, so will be our worship. If our worship is high and lofty and transcendent and majestic and exalted and filled with awe, awe-full, not in the bad sense, but awe-full, full of awe, as our, if our worship is that way, it is because that is a reflection of our thoughts and our thinking about God. It's because we have high and lofty and exalted and transcendent and magnificent and majestic thoughts of God. And if as a congregation our worship is low and base and vile and common and just sort of happy slappy and we come together, it's lighthearted, it's flippant, that is because we have happy slappy, lighthearted, flippant, low, irreverent and base thoughts about God. Worship will always, always be a mirror of one's thoughts about God. You can tell a lot about somebody's God by the way that they worship. In fact, their worship, I think, is a more accurate and truthful portrayal of what somebody thinks about God than is their doctrinal statement. Doctrinal statements to me are irrelevant. Show me what, how somebody preaches and I'll tell you what their view of Scripture is. Show me how somebody worships and I'll tell you what their view of God is. We worship infallibly, always, according to our perspective of God. So that's the first thing we've noticed. Second thing we saw is that our worship really is an expression of theology. And this is kind of related to the second one. Good sound theology is the fertile soil out of which worship grows. And we, our, our worship can only be as deep as our understanding of God is deep. So we have to go deep down into Scripture and deep down into truth and have a deep understanding of these things in our own hearts and our own mind if our worship is going to be deep. And if our understanding of God and our understanding of His plan and our understanding of His Word and truth is shallow, then so will be our worship. So we want to make sure that for our worship to be deep, that we have to go deep down into the things of God. Because good, sound theology is the fertile soil out of which right worship and true worship grows. So all of that is by way of review. And that brings us now to this phrase, those who worship God must worship Him in spirit and truth. Now, I'll confess to you, the sermon that I'm preaching to you right now is not the sermon that I set out on Monday morning to craft. I sat down on Monday morning and I had all of these things that I've been collecting on different pages on my desk. And I wish sometimes you guys could see my desk on any given day of the week. It's all of these pages, and many of them are connected. Some of them are scattered all over the place. And they all have ideas, thoughts, quotes, things that need to be addressed, texts of Scripture that need to kind of be woven in, things that pertain to this subject of worship that sort of need to be worked in. And so what I sit down on a Monday morning to do is to sort of organize all these thoughts under different headings. And as I do, more things are occurring to me, and so I'm jotting those down on more pieces of paper, and I have this ever-growing stack of stuff that I feel like I have to cram into here on a Sunday morning. And that's what's been going on this last week. Now, I started off to take just the subject of worship in the Spirit, because we've got two, worship in Spirit and worship in truth. So I started off just to take the subject of what does it mean to worship in Spirit? And I kind of drafted all of that out, sketched it all out on a skeleton, uh, uh, on, a, on a piece of paper, a skeleton of where I was going, but then all of these other things, I thought, well, before we can really address what it means to worship in spirit, and then next week worship in truth, we have to look at these things together. Because they're not intended for us to separate them, as if to communicate that you can worship in spirit, and you can worship in truth. And you come on a Sunday morning, or you choose a church, depending on which one of those you feel most comfortable trafficking in. Or worshiping it. You feel like worshiping in spirit, that's okay, we can offer that. You feel like worshiping in truth, that's okay, we can offer that in another service. We can't divide these things up because they must go together. And in fact, I think that a right understanding of them requires that both of them, both of them must be present. And we cannot divide them at all because worshiping in the spirit is a result of understanding truth. 
And truth necessarily impacts our spirit in worship. So today what I want to do is I want to give you just a few observations and sort of put a bunch of stuff together under this heading of dealing with both of these together. So before we separate them out and talk about spirit and talk about truth, I want to make sure that we understand the implications of what these, what this means when they're both together because we can't, we can't divide them. Can't divide them up. They both must be together or neither one of them is present. So the first observation sort of with both of these together is that these two things must, must go together. They must go together. He who worships God must. Now that is a very scary little four-letter word right there in that verse. Must worship God in spirit and in truth. And that is a scary word because it speaks of our obligation not only to worship God, but our obligation to worship Him in a certain way. You see, God must be worshipped. It is not optional for us to worship God. We cannot in our Christian life say, well, I'm going to choose to worship Him this week, and I'm not going to choose to worship Him next week. I'm not just talking about coming and attending church. I'm talking about the whole heart attitude of saying, I'm going to offer to God worship. He must be worshipped. Because He is infinitely worthy of such worship. Our God is high, He is holy, He is righteous, He is transcendent, He is infinite in all of His attributes and in all of His perfections and in all of His characteristics. And if He is the highest being in all of the universe, and He is, then the greatest thing that can be done is to worship the highest being who is so infinitely worthy of all of our worship. He must be worshipped. If every person who has ever breathed had offered to Him nothing but heartfelt, total and sincere and unceasing adoration and praise and thanksgiving and worship and obedience for their entire lives, and if every beast of the field and every bird of the air and every fish of the sea were given a voice so as to praise Him and offer to Him nothing but worship and adoration and praise and, 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 and obedience for their whole lives, and if the mountains and the, the stars and the wind and the clouds and the trees and the flowers were all given voices to sing His praises, and that were to go on, and if we all had a thousand tongues to sing our great Redeemer's praise, if that were to go on for all of eternity, it would not approach what He is worthy of. He is infinitely worthy of all of that and so much more. And so He must be worshipped. Now when we worship, we recognize I'm not offering to Him and we as a congregation are not offering to Him nor can we offer to Him anything approaching what He is worthy of, can we? We cannot do that. But the fact that we cannot offer to Him that which He deserves does not keep us from offering to Him all that we can. And that's the goal of worship. We know that we fall short. I know that I fall short. You know that you fall short. You wish you were a better worshiper than you are. You wish you were more consistent, more unceasing, more spiritual in your worship, more in tune with the Lord, more responsive to truth. All of these things we desire. He is infinitely worthy of our worship, and He must, must be worshipped. That is our obligation. You ever realize that the, the kindest thing that God has ever done to you is to make you His worshiper? All the grace that you have ever been shown, every kind thing that has ever been done to you, every good thing that God has ever done to you, pales in comparison to this one fact, that He sought you and He bought you and He made you His eternal worshiper. So that now in time and for all of eternity, we will worship Him and He will shower upon us grace and kindness and goodness and mercy and loving kindness and joy, and we will be the recipients of all of that, and in turn, we will turn that back around to Him and offer to Him praise. 
The greatest kindness that God has ever shown us is to make us His eternal worshipers. That's the goal of our salvation. That was the goal of our creation. That's what we were created to do. That's what the Father has sought us to do, is to be true worshipers. So God must be worshipped. And these things must go together. And we cannot separate them. He who worships must worship in spirit and in truth. So not only can spirit and truth go together, actually, listen, they must go together. They have to go together. And we can't divide them and separate them up as if to choose. So the person who says on the one hand, you know what, I really dig the spiritual part of worship. I like the spirit stuff. I'm not real hot on the truth. I like the emotionalism. I like the, the feeling I get from the song. I like the feeling I get during the sort of the swaying back and forth. And I raise my hands because I enjoy this. And I really enjoy the spirit. The emotion is where it's all at for me. Truth, error, false doctrine. I just don't concern myself with those things. That's the pastor's job. My job is just to get into the spirit of it. And I'm really not concerned with truth. Then there's a person on the other side of the spectrum who says, truth. Now I got that down. Truth. I can quote for you the Westminster Catechism. I can quote for you any catechism or creed that has ever been written and published within Christendom for the last 2,000 years. I know all of my doctrines. I know Calvin's five points, Arminian's five points, Luther's five points, Jim's five points. I know everybody's all five points of this. I can tell you exactly where I'm at on every issue of truth. The emotional thing, I'm not into the emotional thing. I don't have emotions. I don't experience emotions. I can't tell you the last time I cried. Both of those extremes are just as wrong as the person who says, I don't care about spirit or truth. You have to have both of them. Now, Sandpoint is a, is a community where you can throw a rock and hit any one of probably five different churches. They're packed in so tight. So you could stand out in the parking lot and throw a rock and probably walk into any church in the given community here. And I'm talking about the greater Sandpoint area, not one that's right next door, but the greater Sandpoint area here. You could throw a rock and hit a church and walk in and experience all kinds of spirit. All kinds of spirit. And the emotionalism will be at a fever pitch and the music is hot on and everything is great. People are raising their hands and there's all kinds of stuff going on all the place. They're dancing in the spirits and all this stuff going on. All this type of spirit activity. Hyper-emotional. People are weeping and crying and coming forward and falling down and all caught up in the spirit. Now typically, not exclusively, typically such environments, because we're familiar with the extremes, typically such environments are not known for expository preaching, long dark, deep doctrinal statements that confuse everybody and soundness of doctrine. That's not exclusive across the board, but typically that's it because that's the one extreme. Then you could leave that church and walk right out and walk down the street to a church that has a doctrinal statement that's 50 pages long. It looks like a congressional record. It's so thick. And everybody gathers there together and the preaching is expository and it's four and a half hours long and everybody sits there solemn and and uh, the children are quiet and everybody's dressed properly and nobody moves and nobody in that church has shed a tear in 10 years and the only emotion that is ever felt is frustration at the pastor for going on so long. And there is that dead sort of orthodoxy on the other side of a man had got the doctrine nailed down. And see, in Christianity, we bought into the lie of thinking that the, the further you move toward the spirit end, the more you have to be divorced from the truth end. Or the more you move into the truth side of things, the more ir- irrelevant and detached the spiritual side of worship is. I can't think of a greater satanic lie than the lie that you have to choose between one of those two things because Jesus said they're both required. We don't have to choose between the two of them. We cannot choose between the two of them because my worship in spirit is a response to truth. If I am worshiping in spirit and it is not grounded on truth and if it's not a response to truth, 
then listen, it is just emotion. That's all it is. It's not worship. It's just emotion. It's humanly generated emotion. And our worship team could come up here and whip all of us into an emotional frenzy. Completely apart from truth. But if, on the other hand, my worship in truth never impacts my life and doesn't affect my spirit, and I never have any emotions toward God, no affections whatsoever toward God's Word, God's people, or God Himself, then there is something wrong with my view of truth. Truth causes my spirit to worship. My spirit worshiping is a response to truth. And the only way that both of those can be present is if the truth is present and we are responding positively and rightly and in a God-honoring way to truth in the Spirit. And truth that doesn't cause spiritual worship is inadequate truth, misapplied truth, misunderstood truth, dead truth. And spiritual worship that is not grounded on truth is nothing but hyper-emotionalism and it is absolutely pointless. So the first observation is those two things must, not only can they go together, They must go together. You can't separate them. Because if you remove one, the other is dead. If you remove the other, then the one is dead. So they have to be both together. Second observation would be this, that those two parameters form for us in our worship. At the same time, and this I find, um, how would I say this? This I find profound. Those two parameters form for us at the same time constrictions that are both very narrow and very broad. Let me illustrate this. It must be spirit and truth. Those are the two non-negotiables, spirit and truth. Take the subject of spirit, for instance. If true worship must be offered in the spirit, it must be a spiritual act because God is spirit, then that means that that eliminates or excludes all worship, all worship, no matter how sincere, which is merely external Merely the form, merely the formalism, merely the liturgy, merely the outward physical expression of it. If it is not coming from the heart, if it is not my heart yielded in submission to God, then it is merely and only externalism. So the fact that it must be in the Spirit excludes all physical expressions that are merely physical expressions. Now it doesn't exclude physical expressions. You can raise your hands. You can do all of those things. It includes physical expressions, but those must be expression of the Spirit. So it's very narrow. The spirit has to be involved. Further, that excludes the ability, that, that excludes all unbelievers from being able to worship. This is very narrow. Has to be believers. Has to be those who have been made alive in the spirit in Christ Jesus. It has to be those whose spirits and lives have been quickened. And it has to come from the internal unseen part of me. That's what makes worship worship. Now on the other hand, it's truth. Now is truth narrow or is truth broad? Truth is narrow. Truth is very narrow. Truth is not all-inclusive. You and I are not free to define truth. Truth defines us. We are not free to determine truth. We discover truth. Truth is what God says it is. Truth is based upon God's uh, character. And truth is truth. And there is the truth, and then there is everything else. Everything else. And any worship that is not truth, and based upon true truth, is a lie. And it is a joke. It is fabricated worship, and it is wrong worship. It's not worship at all. Truth is very narrow. So it has to be spirit And it has to be truth. And anything that is not of the truth is a lie. So there's the truth, and then there's everything else. Everything else is a lie. That's very narrow, is it not? And yet at the same time, we are given, in those very narrow parameters, a tremendous amount of latitude. A tremendous amount of latitude in our worship. Do you feel like today worshiping by yourself, or do you feel like today worshiping with God's people? 
That's up to you. That's your choice. Don't neglect the assembling of yourselves together. How about the place of worship? Well, we as a church could meet out in a garden or out on a mountaintop or outside or out in the parking lot or inside here, inside of a gymnastics building, or we can meet in a school, or we can meet in an old church building or a new church building, or we can meet in homes. It's up to us. Tremendous latitude. How about the order of our service? Do we want to sing and then read and then preach and then pray? Or do we want to pray, preach, read, and then sing? It's up to us. That's up to us to determine. We have that latitude. How many times a week would you like to worship? You want to meet with God's people and worship five times a week, six times a week, one time a week, three times a week? That's up to you. Do you want to worship in big groups or small groups? That's up to you. All those things are your your freedom, your latitude. Does worship involve kneeling, being prostrate, raising your hands, clapping your hands, holding your hands, putting your hands behind your back, putting your hands in your pocket, smacking your kids with your hands? What do you do with your hands? Do you lay prostrate? Do you weep? Do you cry? Do you lift your head? Do you bow your head? Do you close your eyes? Do you keep your eyes open? Do you sing? Do you sing loudly? Sing softly? Or not sing at all? Do you want to sit down and worship? Lay down and worship. Kneel and worship? Stand and worship. On your tiptoes when you worship? All of that is up to you. Tremendous amount of latitude. In our posture, in our order, in the frequency, in the day of the week that we worship. All of those things are up to us. They're, they're that latitude that we have to have freedom both corporately together and individually as saints. So those two parameters, spirit and truth, they form not only the most constricting parameters for worship, but within those constricting parameters is this amazing amount of latitude that will keep us busy worshiping for the rest of our lives and never be able to exhaust the variety of expressions that worship brings. Now, all of those expressions have to be analyzed or have to be judged by spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. Amongst those constrictions, there is a tremendous amount of latitude. Third thing, third consideration, is in Jesus' word, those who worship him, that is, worship God. And we need to be reminded that our worship, our worship is for God, and it is about God. It is not for us, and it is not about us. Now, you would think that that would go without saying, but friends, it doesn't. It seems that the bulk of evangelicalism right now is so confused about the purpose and the point of worship as to, be, as to make coming back to this basic, fundamental almost essential and necessary. The evangelical church has forgotten that worship is about God. It begins with God. It focuses on God. It is all about what God wants, all about what God desires, all about His being, His nature, His character, His plan, His purpose, His word, His truth, His characteristics, His attributes. Worship is all about that. It begins with God, it ends with God, and everything in between is about God. It's not about us, and it's not for us. And yet there is this movement among evangelicals and evangelicalism which caters worship and worship services to unbelievers. Unbelievers. And it's all about what the unbeliever wants. What does the unbeliever expect in a worship service? Well, we'll offer them that to get them in the door. Listen, a bunch of goats singing Christian songs is not worship. It can't be worship. And we cannot cater a worship service to unbelievers. Unbelievers can't worship. And so today, the church has said, we're going to cater everything. The songs that we sing, how we sing the songs, the language that we use, the preaching, the song, the, no, it's not even preaching anymore, it's the talk, and the words that are used in the talk, and even the Bible version that's used and put up on the screen is the most dumbed-down, stupid, straightforward, unoffensive version you can possibly imagine, all for the sake of not offending an unbeliever. You are asking the wrong question when you say, what does a pagan want out of a worship service? 
You cannot even begin to ask that question. Why? Because it's not about them. As if you can take a a worship service and so tweak it or customize it to the point that a God-hating, unregenerate, darkness-loving pagan is pleased with it, and that is going to please God. Are you kidding me? That's not worship. I don't care what time of the day you have it or what day of the week you have it. That is not worship. Nor can we, nor should we, want to have worship and their services catered to us. What do I feel like offering to the Lord today? How can I best use my talent to express my heart to God? Is there anything wrong with those questions? See, I found myself falling into that. What, what do I desire out of the worship service? Wrong. See, that's a blasphemous question to even ask. To think that we were willing to take our desires and equate them with God's decrees and to make His interests second to our own in a worship service. This is why you can have churches that uh, if you feel like worshiping in a Hawaiian service, uh, Friday night. Oh yeah, the whole luau, the, the palm trees and all the stuff, we got it up on the stage. You want a Hawaiian theme? All the music is Hawaiian. We'll have pineapple afterwards. Uh, Kahlua flavored coffee, just a Hawaiian theme. That's on Friday night. The reggae service is on Saturday morning. The hip-hop rap service is Saturday afternoon. And the uh, traditional service is on Sunday or uh, Saturday evening. The contemporary service is on Sunday morning. The classical punk rock teenage service is Sunday evening. What does that tell you about the worship services of a church? Listen, here's, here's what I believe. For a church to even have a traditional service and a contemporary service, two different types of services, is an indication to me that at some point someone in the leadership said, what do our people want out of a worship service? That is blasphemy. I don't care what anybody here wants out of a worship service, and you should not care what anybody here wants. You shouldn't care what you want. I don't care what my family wants. I don't care what visitors want. I don't care what anybody here wants. All of us worship to an audience of one. And our only and consuming concern is what does he want out of our gathering here together? Spirit and truth. Two totally non-negotiables. Both of those have to be present. A lot of latitude. not criticizing Hawaiian form of worship. I am saying that when you customize or you create a worship service that caters to men, you have begun to err at a fundamental and foundational level. You have already missed the boat entirely. Everything you build upon that is utterly useless And from my perspective, it's not even worship. It can't be worship because it's not offered to him for him. The foundational criteria is what do I want to give? What do I want to do? How do I feel like worshiping? I'm going to select from the buffet. And we're used to asking these questions in every other area of life. When I sit down to watch something on TV, what question do I ask? What do I want to watch? Listen to something on the radio? What do I feel like listening to? What type of music do I want to listen to? What do I feel like listening to? What do I want to have for dinner? Who do I want to have over for dinner? What do I want to do tonight? Where do I want to go on vacation? We ask these questions. How do I feel about this in every other area of life? And then that transitions into the church and we start asking the same things about a worship service. How or when or where or with whom or in what way do I want to worship? That's the wrong question. This is the one solitary event out of the week where that question, that consideration is completely and totally out of place doesn't matter what we want. It's not about us. It's for God. We worship Him. Him in spirit and truth. 
This whole thing is designed for him. Everything about him, this is not with unbelievers, not with pagans, not with new Christians, not with participants in mind. The whole thing is for us to get together as a group of people and offer to him something that pleases him. And then when we walk away, we ask ourselves, was God pleased with that? That's the only consideration. The people who sit in the back row of such and such a section, they didn't like it. They didn't like the song selection. They didn't like the music selection. All of those things are irrelevant. doesn't matter. Spirit and truth. Those two things must be present. Now, does that mean, because some of you are going to ask this, does that mean that there are no benefits accrued to the worshiper? Does that mean that we don't benefit from the worship service? Oh, no, we do. Listen, when we get together here, we are edified and we are equipped and we are fed and we are strengthened and our faith is encouraged and we fellowship one with another. We are strengthened spiritually in ways that we don't even see going on here. The fact that we are here, we feel certain benefits and blessings and edifications that come to us and we are blessed by worship. But that is not the goal. Those things are never the goal. Those things are the side benefits. The number one consuming question is, aiming our worship at God so that He is pleased. And when He is pleased, we get the blessings. When we aim to get blessed, and it all becomes about what we want to get out of it, then we miss both the blessings and worship. But when we aim at worshiping God and God alone, we get God and the blessings. But when we change our focus, we miss it all. And when we focus on God, we get all of it. So we do get blessed. We are encouraged. Worship does edify and strengthen me. But that's not what I'm shooting for. Listen, if you got, if you and I got absolutely nothing out of the worship service, nothing at all, if worship had been so designed by God as to leave us utterly and totally barren and we got nothing out of it, would that change our worship? Would that matter? It wouldn't matter. Why? Because worship is not about us. It's about Him. And when He becomes the focus of our worship, we get all the blessings beside. And when we aim at the blessings, we get neither. Now, this fourth consideration is really not in any way attached directly to the text, but I've been looking for a place to sort of stuff it in, and so I'm going to do that here, and it it does seem kind of out of place. Worship, in spirit and truth, is a response to God. It is a response to God. It's what we do in response to Him. God is the one who took the initiative in salvation. God is the one who takes the initiative to condescend and to come here and to dwell with us in flesh, to see us, to make us His worshipers. He is the one who has saved us. All of the things that we do in worship is, is a response to God. When we gather here, we are not trying to, to alter God's will. We are not trying to earn His favor or earn His grace or make His face to shine upon us. We're not doing anything that we do for the sake of gaining something from God. The minute we do that, the minute we think, well, if we gather together here and we pray and we worship, maybe God will do this for us. The minute we do that, we're back to a man-centered theology, a theology that wants something out of it. And so then we think that we're here to sort of get something from our cosmic bellhop that we call God, who then will bless us because we have worshipped in a profound and spiritual and really in-touch way. That is all man-centered thinking. We don't worship to get something from God. We worship Him because of who He is, because He is infinitely worthy, and because of what He has done. Everything that we offer to Him in worship is response to what He has first done to us. How do we know what He has first done to us? We look in Scripture. We look in Scripture. We see the majesty of His person. We see all of the things that He has done to us, and our worship then becomes a response back to Him for what He has done, never to get anything back out of it for us. It's a response to Him. And since worship is a response, then I cannot give you a form of worship. I cannot give you a form of worship. And there may be some who are sitting here who are thinking, okay, I can't wait till we get to the part where Jim tells us what to do to worship. I can't do that. But Jim, I want to know, do I, do I kneel? 
Do I fall down? Do I, do I sing? Do I, what order do I do this in? Give me my checklist. Give me my form, my template, my pattern. Give that to me so then I will know what true worship is. I can't do that. I, I could never do that. Because if I did that and I said, okay, folks, here it is on the whiteboard behind me. This is what must be present in true worship. You have to do this, and you have to do that, and you have to do this, and make sure you don't forget that. You do it in this order. This is true worship. The minute I do that, it becomes outward manifestation, an outward compulsion. It becomes mere formalism, and it defeats the whole purpose. You know what worship is. I mean, I can tell you who God is. I can tell you what God has done. I can describe to you what worship in spirit means, what the implications of that are. The principle, I can tell you what worship in truth means and what the implications of that are and the principle behind that. We can describe all of these things, but at the end of the day, worship is not about me saying to you, here's what you must do. Worship at the end of the day is saying, here is my response to God for all that He has done. And anything I do or that anybody does to compel you to do or to express worship in a certain way is merely external formalities. It must be the expression of your own heart, a response to what God has already done. And so ask yourself these questions. Who is God? What is God? What is His nature and His character? What is He worthy of? What has God done for me by His grace? And you answer those questions, and then I would just say this. Respond appropriately. It's an expression of your heart in spirit and in truth. And you can't go wrong. Because that's the essence of true worship. And if the magnificence of His person and the glories of His perfections and the greatness of His grace to us in Christ Jesus does not tune your heart to sing His praise, there is absolutely nothing I could ever say or do up here that will accomplish that. We stand in awe of Him because of who He is and what He has done. And we respond as His people appropriately with spirit, and with truth. Let's pray together. Our Father, we do rejoice that You have made Yourself known in Christ and that You have called us to be Your worshipers and we want to offer to You that which You are worthy of. We pray that You would tune our hearts to sing Your praise, that You would be, you would show Yourself to us in, in glorious and new and profound ways as we see You in Your Word, that You would be honored by our desire to worship You in spirit and in truth. We want to yield to You the unseen part of our lives, not just the externalities. And we want to do so in a way that is in accordance with Your Word. And we confess again that we do not even, we are not by nature worshipers, but You have sought us for that purpose and You have made us that. We pray that Your Spirit would do the work in our hearts and our lives to make us true worshipers. So we are focused and intent upon You and who You are and what You have done for us in Christ. May all that we offer, corporately and individually, be a response to that great grace. And may we come to know your grace in the fellowship of the Spirit and the grace of Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.